Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book 2 Free Will and Other Compulsions A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Stephanie Sawyer Mark Smith Ken the Comic Book Goddess With original music by Danny Shade This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, Episode 1. Hi, I'm your host, J. Daniel Sawyer. Welcome to Book 2 of the Antithesis Progression. A lot has happened to bring us to this point, so to refresh your memory, this is the story so far. Because of the actions of Senator William Shelley, bounty hunters Alyssa and Jim Hartman, crime boss Cassie Orenthal, and resistance leader Douglas Reeves, Joss Kyle, once the National Security Advisor of the United States, is once again on the run. Alyssa managed to slip aboard his ship as he launched, and she is now his prisoner. Meanwhile, the resistance movement faces an uncertain future. As forces gather on a number of fronts, war may come too soon before they're prepared to fight it. And now, free will and other compulsions. Dedication This volume is dedicated to the men and women who sat in Tahrir, who crossed the wall in Berlin, who fell at Tiananmen Square, who bled in the streets of Tehran, who lost their lives in Boston and all those like them before and since. To them we owe a debt we cannot repay, save that we make their dream come true, for everyone, forever. Men keep agreements when it is to the advantage of neither to break them. Put more trust in nobility of character than in oaths. Salon of Athens. War is merely the continuation of politics by other means. Karl von Clausewitz. Prologue. Official transcript. Transmission from Gagarin Station Operations Division. Intercepted 1735 GMT. 25 December 2129. This is Gagarin Station to Persian vessel Rubaiyat. In deference to the lives of the 10,000 civilians currently aboard, and by unanimous vote of the command staff, I am authorized to deliver the following message. We surrender. Part 1. Captivity and Other Clean Escapes Chapter 1. Tycho. Lunar Surface. 18 November. 2129. Nobody could have known what was coming. There was no way to know. Down in the deep south, under the shadow of the lunar night and bathed only in earthshine, something moved. Gray against gray, a small figure clawed its way through the spires jutting rudely at the ridge of Tycho Crater. One step at a time, its feet left a permanent trail in the dust heading north by northeast from the New Zion colony toward Mare Tranquillitatis and civilization. Eight 
1,500 kilometers. If the traveler was lucky, she could do it in one lunar night. Other girls had escaped before. Other girls' bodies had been found in the dust, poisoned by their own breath, building up in the scrubbers or dried out from too long an exposure to the brutal lunar sun. This one wouldn't make that mistake. She'd signed up for the surface gardening class at school because she knew they put something in you that kept you alive for a long time if your oxygen bottle failed. Another year in school and she'd have gotten her introductory nanotech class and learned all about the respirocytes, artificial red blood cells that increased the human body's oxygen efficiency by a factor of 30. She had no way to know that, and she wouldn't have stayed another year for any knowledge or money. All she knew is that they might help her get a little farther. So she'd stolen a rebreather and some extra bottles that she dragged behind her. She'd packed her pea suit helmet full of appetite suppressants and amphetamines. Without food, she needed them to keep moving. Luna City was farther than anyone had ever walked outside before, but it was the only place she could go. She couldn't cross the mountains to get to First Town on the South Pole. There were no roads between settlements in the Southern Hemisphere, and people lost their way and died in the mountains. It was go north and maybe die trying, or nothing. At 12 years old, she'd rather die trying. The stars were a good guide for direction. You couldn't grow up on Luna and not know them by heart. They were dimmer when the sun was up, but right now they showed through her faceplate as clearly as through a clean porthole window. The distant fires lit her path, showing her the way through the spires and ridges at the rim of Tycho. She didn't know if she would make it. If she had asked an adult, even one that wanted her to escape, they'd have told her it wasn't possible. But she was too young, too stupid, and too desperate to know what couldn't be done. On the far side of the mountains, the mottled, rock-strewn mazes of the high plains stretched out before her to the horizon. She'd been on the trek for about 12 hours, enough that they'd miss her, maybe even send out a search party. Maybe they'd catch her. She didn't care. She just knew that she had to get away and choose a new name. This year at school, they'd learned about certainty. They'd talked about death and taxes, how death was optional if you were willing to forego your destiny in the celestial realms, and how there were no taxes in their colony. Her teacher said that the only certain things were God's love and the word of the prophet. She'd walked out on both, and she'd do it again even though the catheters chafed her every time she moved and her bones ached from loping across the open ground. She was alone in the night, with no air, no animals, no friends, and no God to comfort her, and she'd do it all again. That was the only thing she knew for sure. She held on to that surety as if it were the only man-made light in the long lunar night. Nobody in the world really knew anything for sure. It was a lesson once learned that she'd never forget. Chapter 2 Nineveh, 14 November, 2129 Nineveh's central docking board did not accommodate Corvette-class cargo ships, 
Such ships were relegated to clamp docking along the top of the large cargo loading bay running along the spine of the station. Even though Curie was a few centimeters under the size limits, her proportions and mass made her unwieldy enough that the docking authority didn't want her gumming up their equipment in the central bore. So, unlike some smaller ships Cassie had seen recently, Fugitive for example, Curie had to park on top. It had been a 36-hour affair, starting up her reactors from cold, going through the pre-flight checklists and loading stores and cargo for the return trip, but Cassie finally had the old girl ready to lift off. Reeves had made the last shuttle tram before their scheduled departure. Cassie knew she should have felt something about it. Relieved, maybe, that she didn't have to wait on him anymore, or annoyed that he'd spend the skew flip hanging around in the galley with that beaten bounty hunter, smoking her bud and putrefying her ship and eating her stores. Instead, the fact that he was on board and getting settled into his quarters just seemed like one more item off her checklist, of no more emotional importance than the reactors. It suited her just fine. She had a few more items than normal on her checklist this time. Nineveh Docking Control, this is Kyrie, awaiting final clearance to clear moorings and disengage docking clamps. Kyrie, this is Nineveh Docking Control. You are cleared to enter the pattern in eight minutes. Roger that, Control. Kyrie, out. Cassie locked the buckle of the five-point harness and checked the call off her list. That left one last pre-launch item on the list. After a day and a half of working with naps and popping pain pills for the wound in her shoulder, the truth was she didn't have spare energy to feel anything. She was saving it up for her last chore. Once the docking clamps disengaged, Nineveh Control would run her to the edge of the docking pattern on remote, and from there the autopilot would take over running her on the most expensive possible route, a sloping arc down the rim of the gravity well into lunar orbit. One gravity the first day, two gravities straight shot after that with the standard flip schedule. That, at least, would help keep her passengers under control which left only one thing before she let herself nap before the launch. Cassie punched up Curie's IR telescope and scrolled through its records. She'd caught Fugitive's track when she launched, and it looked like Joss's boat was making for the inner planets, still under boost. Risky move, but he probably thought he didn't have much choice. Where are you going, Joss? Wherever it was, he'd better see his way clear. With war coming, she needed him in her pocket on Luna, and she hadn't let him shoot her just so that he could disappear without a trace. She aimed a laser dish at the retreating heat bloom of Fugitive's engines, now already a quarter astronomical unit away and burning through fuel fast. She tapped a quick message and sent it, three times, in a narrow beam burst. You're covered for the next five days. Don't waste them. Val, restrict information on this track to my voice pronounly and classify it as a root privilege. Edit it out of the IR survey for all other users. The AI answered, Affirmative, Captain. All hands, all hands strap, strap yourself, yourself in. in. Dust, Dust off, off in, in one, one minute. minute. With that done, she finally let her breath go. As the docking clamps disengaged, the adrenaline ebbed out of her bloodstream, leaving her lolling in her chair. The vibrations sang her to sleep as the chemical engine roared to life, pushing Curie once again into interplanetary space. Chapter 3. Cargo Ship. Name Unknown. 12 November, 2129. First, 
It was a little whir, like one might expect from a dental drill. Then, two chirps in quick succession, followed by a solid, piercing beep. A few seconds later, the pressure changed. The hiss, followed by the clang of the exterior hatch opening, presaged the blast of warm that rushed into the hold. The body, laying crumpled against the cargo nets next to a frozen puddle of sick in the hold, knew this. Its hearing was the only thing still working. Four days in the pressurized, freezing hold had left Percy Scott frostbitten all about his face. His eyelids were chapped, his ears were beginning to turn dusky, his mind had long since slipped into a hypothermic delirium. The insulation in his ill-fitting skin press suit was the only thing that kept him warm enough that his eyes and brain didn't freeze. For his part, Percy Scott was only vaguely aware of the hands that seized him and dragged him under all the heavy gravity, out the door, and into the scratching, burning, needle-bright corridors outside. Chapter 4 Fugitive Destination Unknown 16 November 2129 Through Fugitive's forward viewport, what had been a pale blue dot was now a cyan P. Joss had allowed himself three days solid acceleration before cutting the engines. It was a risk. Stealthiness in space was a bit like playing hide-and-seek while naked in a briar patch. It could be done, but it was a thorny business that depended upon the fact that nobody would believe you were crazy enough to actually try to pull it off. The simple fact was that even enough life support to keep a single body alive and comfortable burned a god-awful amount of power, and burning power meant that somewhere, somehow, you had to have a heat sink to radiate all the waste energy away. In a black sky, anyone with a child's infrared camera could see you, no matter how well you'd done with disguising your transponder or stealthing your ship for radar or laser scanners. Common wisdom said it couldn't be done, even in theory. If there was one thing Joss Kyle prided himself on, it was poking holes in perfectly good theories. While it was just as impossible to make a ship disappear from all wave bands as it was for a stage magician to make an elephant disappear from an enclosed glass case in front of hundreds of people, magicians had been doing just that thing with elephants for hundreds of years. Successful stealth didn't depend so much on people not seeing you, as it depended on them not knowing it was you they were seeing. Confusion. That was the secret. And that was why, three days into his heavy boost escape, Joss Kyle started the countdown to cut the engines, ratchet up the radiators, and drift in tandem with a three-ship convoy heading back to Luna. The single passenger liner and two cargo ships already had their own heat bloom. Fugitive dumping its excess heat at them would make the bloom even bigger, and, from the point of view of Nineveh, Fugitive would just melt into the scenery. After a few days of drift, he'd be able to execute the next part of the plan. As long as Reeves hadn't already spotted him, it should work. Cassie's promise that she had him covered might have been comforting, if he thought he could trust her. Every relationship has its difficulties, but after shooting her, he doubted that he'd ever be able to sit in the same room with her again and keep his hide. The fact that she'd let him do it didn't help. The strategic situation changed the moment he'd run out of phalanx, 
and what that change might look like from her point of view was something he could only guess at, and badly. There were two paths open to him, run into trouble or run away for good. Both led through Earth orbit, but he'd need more luck than God in a dozen places to even have a prayer of making a run into trouble work. If Congress got deadlocked over Shelley's policy proposals, if he was able to catch the right breaks to make planet fall before the Christmas recess, if Shelley spent Christmas somewhere vulnerable, if... He didn't know what else because he hadn't gotten that far yet, but Joss suspected there was a monumental pile of ifs still to be uncovered. At least another three days of research and analysis and going over the recordings from the standoff and phalanx lay between him and a final decision. He had to be sure he wasn't walking into another trap. Reeves was the kind of man who'd have a backup plan. The only question was if the backup plan could have anticipated this. And then there was Alyssa. She might be the backup plan. She had to be gotten rid of somehow and without giving her a clue what he was up to or how to find him. She'd turn him in as soon as she walked off the ship. The hormones were barely keeping her quiescent enough now. Pump enough bonding potion into a woman's wetware and her willingness to extend the benefit of the doubt skyrocketed. She wasn't getting itchy feet, at least not yet. That situation would not last forever. She didn't like being a prisoner, and her quiescence certainly wouldn't stick after he turned off the intestinal device that time-released the drugs, something he had to do as soon as he let her go. Part of the bargain he made with his conscience, something about self-respect. He wished the fucking thing would just go back to sleep. Not that he needed to worry about inventory. At this rate, he could stay adrift for a year without having to restock on the hormones, though food might be a problem if he wound up having to go in by the slow ship cargo route. Mondu had left him well situated. He should have been pleased. Fugitive herself was performing as advertised so far, at least enough that he trusted her to earn her keep. The gentle slopes of her lightweight polished interior were miles different from what he remembered of Curier's clunky all-switches-and-buttons aesthetic. Then again, Curier had been built before magnetic shielding got cheap enough to make a full fly-by-wire setup feasible. It wasn't just solar radiation one had to worry about in the dark. There were pirates out here, and their favorite weapon was EMP. Without a full Faraday cage and mechanical overrides, a ship like Curier would choke under it. Fugitive had no such problems, not with the Broussard Polywell Dynamo secreted in her belly, and her interior reflected that fact. She was fully automated. He suspected that the coffee machine ran on brew-by-wire. No, the ship wouldn't get in his way. Neither would his passenger. Joss winced when she floated back to the top of his thoughts. It wasn't that she wasn't easy on the eyes, or that he thought Cassie would begrudge him if he slept with her. Trading lead slugs pretty much put questions of fidelity into the less-than-trivial category, and it wasn't that kind of relationship in any case. And it wasn't that he didn't think he'd find a way to give her the slip without screwing himself over. It was just... God damn it, it was only a neurotransmitter cocktail. It was a temporary measure. Once they reached port, he wouldn't need it anymore. Besides, as drugs went, it was essentially harmless. He kept telling himself that. He almost believed it, too, when he could ignore the nagging memory of a paper he once read. When one lies, one should lie big and stick to their lies. 
the conscience which had caused him so much trouble wouldn't quite allow him to indulge in Goebbels for comfort. Not yet. Joss Kyle, a man with no home, paced the bridge of his ship under his last few hours of acceleration and tried to avoid his passenger. The passenger who kept buzzing at his door. The passenger who was going out of her mind with boredom. The passenger who, thanks to him, couldn't figure out what to do with herself when he wasn't in the room. He hadn't meant to trap her here. If she hadn't been so fucking tenacious and swift-footed, he'd have gotten away clean. All Joss had wanted from the beginning was to keep his skin, but when the price on his hide went up, the price he had to pay to keep it went up too. His passenger, Alyssa Hartman, and her employer, Douglas Reeves, had cost him his home. It was the second time someone working for Senator William Shelley had done so. So far, the price for keeping his skin more or less intact tallied up at two children, one ex-wife he was rather fond of, two homes, one business, two jobs, and four years of his life on the run, during which he'd left more than his fair share of carrion on the vulture's heap. Joss poured himself a cup of coffee from his thermos to keep himself from traveling any farther on that train of thought. When he knew how to get rid of her, then he'd have plenty of time for qualms. Right now, it was chemical restraints. Dosing her was a simple matter of self-defense. But that didn't help him shake the feeling that this time he might finally have left too many cards in the blind. Perhaps it was time to rewrite the rules again. Listening to episode one of the Antithesis Progression, book two, Free Will and Other Compulsions. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer with original music by Danny Shade, using permission. This episode starred Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Mark Smith as Men of the Docking Control, and Kim Fortuna as Val. Some sounds courtesy of the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009, Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 1999 and 2011, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2013, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Deep in space, in the bowels of the wheel, they run. Meet Mara, Crudrat, born to slavery, trained to run, to jump, to clean the great machines that drive the world. And when puberty strikes, expelled, exiled, set adrift to starve and die. From the mind of Gail Carriger, the author of Soulless and the Finishing School series, comes the story of one girl without a home and one monster chained and ransomed and their relentless struggle to win their freedom. For the first time anywhere, Gail Carriger's Crud Rat, a full cast production directed by J. Daniel Sawyer, the four-time Parsec-nominated producer of Down From 10 and The Antithesis Progression, with original music by award-nominated composer Danny Shade. Gail Carriger's Crud Rat. Kickstarting October 1st. 
Get details at www.crudrat.com. And here we are, episode one of Free Will. Episode two will air in 14 days. Next week, we'll have something a little different for you, deep from the nether regions under the studio here at AWP, so don't ignore your feed next Thursday. Just after the end credits and right before this after show, you'll have heard the promo. And yes, you heard right. Starting October 1st, we'll be crowdfunding the production of Gail Carriker's young adult science fiction novel, Crud Rat. Full cast, with Shady doing the music, just like you're used to from my productions of my own stuff. This is a big moment for my little studio, a chance for us to take a huge step away from the corporate gigs and into building our own catalog beyond just my stuff. If you like what I do, please turn out. Successful funding of this means a lot more than just getting Crudrat done. It'll lay the bookkeeping and legal infrastructure here for us to be able to pay the actors for predestination and down from 10 and free will so that those projects can all go to Audible and other stores and brick and mortar stores and get heard beyond the potosphere. Part of my plan has always been to use these casts to build a business that can pay my friends back for their help and this will pull us a few more steps in that direction. Check out www.crudrat.com for more about the story itself and sign up there for the mailing list to get a free sample chapter read by Veronica Jaguer, who's going to be appearing in Free Will a little later on in the story. Not a lot else to talk about on the front end of this. Thank you all for hanging with me through the three-year hiatus. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back. So until next time, I leave you with the nagging questions. Now that Joss faces a choice about what to do, will he set his sights for Earth, or will he run to the outer colonies? And if he does, what will he do with Alyssa? How will Cassie protect herself from Doug Reeves' investigation once she gets back to Luna? And what will Jim uncover, and what effect will it have on the revolution? And most importantly, what will Percy Scott do now that he has survived the attack by Volish? Find out next time. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.